0: Good morning, how are you guys today? It's good to see you. Today I'm gonna to talk to you about a big word. It's a word, it's the word analogy. And you might be saying, well, what is an analogy? Analogies are actually really helpful for kids because they're like pictures that help us understand things that are maybe a little hard to understand. you guys like pictures? Pictures are cool, right? <clears throat> so we're gonna try some some pictures to see if we can better understand God. Some people say that God is like the sun. There's the sun itself, which is the big burning ball of gas, and you can see the sun and you can feel the sun. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You you see the sun and you feel the Holy Spirit. There's a problem that might seem to make sense to our mind, But that's not what the Bible tells us about God. The Bible does not say that there's one God who we see and feel in different ways. That's a bad analogy. It doesn't actually teach us the truth about God. And some people think, well, God is like water because water could take three forms, right? You could have liquid water. What happens if you put it in the freezer? It gets hard, right? It turns into ice, And if you boil it long enough, all the water in the pot will disappear because it's turning into gas. So you can have liquid, ice, or gas. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three forms. That makes sense, right? But the fact that it makes sense tells us there's a problem. We cannot understand that God is triune. It's too big of a thing for our minds to grasp. If we try to use things like analogies, pictures, to better understand who God is, we end up saying things about God that the Bible does not say about God. And so today is a day where we get to come to grips with the fact that our human minds cannot understand everything. We like to understand as many things as we can, but we will never understand the fact that God is triune. That is too big for our minds to understand. The Bible says there is one God, who reveals himself to us in three persons, the Father who created us, the Son who redeemed us, and the Holy Spirit who makes us holy too. But not three gods, one God. And that is something that is too big for us to understand. But let's say a prayer and ask God to make us humble, to praise him as he reveals himself to us. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank and praise you for creating us, for saving us, for making us holy like you as Jesus took away all of our sins with his death and resurrection. Help us to realize that we cannot perfectly understand who you are and what you are like. Help us to praise you no matter what, even when it doesn't make sense. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth And the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our risen redeemer, amen. So far this morning, we've been wrestling with this unreasonable truth, the words of the Athanasian Creed, clearly communicating what the scriptures say about God, but words that make no sense to our mind, the the thoughts of the children's devotion, these things make no sense. They is God, grammatically inaccurate, theologically correct. These things don't make sense to our minds. And yet we confess them as truth because this is how the scriptures define our God. Some people would prefer to have a God that they can wrap their minds around, and many people do that. They'll use analogies like the ones in the children's devotion to try to better understand God, but in so doing, they create a new God who's not the one described in the scriptures, not the true God, but a a false God. Today on Trinity Sunday, I am not going to give you a sermon that tries to explain the the truths of the Trinity to you. I'm not going to walk you through in an orderly fashion all the things we talked about in the Athanasian Creed. Today I'm simply going to show you that this triune God is the perfect God for imperfect people like you and me, and I'm going to do so by showing you an imperfect prophet named Isaiah. And we're going to together see him learn firsthand that the holy, triune, perfect God is the perfect God for imperfect people. A reading from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory." At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. This is the word of our God. I try not to Tell too many personal stories in sermons, but I gotta share one with you today. And I'm hoping it will help you better understand senses of inadequacy. I'm the kind of human that was blessed with the gift of height before weight. And so if you can believe it, it's true, but if you can believe it, there was a time in my life when I was the same height as I am today. And I literally weighed half the pounds that I do this very day as I stand before you. Half. I was really skinny. Like Appearing to be unhealthy, skinny, but I just grew 11 inches in 11 months and hadn't had a chance to fill out. I put on about 50 pounds in the next two years. But when I was a freshman in high school, this tall, half the weight, I tried to play football and that was a mistake because I learned very quickly that the body God had given me was inadequate for the game of football. It, it didn't work. And how did I determine that? Well, by comparing myself to other humans who were my age who were on the football field. I wasn't built right and it showed in many, many ways on the football field. I I had never felt so inadequate in my life and as I think back on different times when I've also felt inadequate, that one is above all the else, above all the others. And that was comparing myself to humans. You've all experienced this in some way, shape, or form. You've You've compared yourself to other human beings who have skills, talents, intellectual abilities, physical abilities, maybe even emotional capacities that you don't have. And it will leave you feeling inadequate. It doesn't matter if you're thinking of an event when you were a child or an adolescent or in the workplace or school, whatever. You've compared yourself to another human being at some point in your life and you have felt inadequate. Now compare that to what Isaiah is experiencing. He's not comparing himself to the other humans in his life. He's comparing himself to the seraphs, to the holy angels, and to the holy God, the king, seated on the throne. And his conclusion is that he is woefully inadequate. Woe to me! I am ruined. He's looking at an incredible scene, this glorious Lord, seated high and exalted on a throne, we're told the train of his robe fills the temple. I can't quite picture what that looked like, but it must have been glorious. And the king is so glorious that these seraphs, they're they are using two of their wings to cover their eyes so that they can't even look at this glorious king. And here is Isaiah, this sinful human, eyes not covered, looking at what the angels aren't looking at. And he's listening to these thunderous shouts of praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's interesting to note, this, this says they were calling to one another. Literally it says calling one to the other, like back and forth. Almost like this was one was saying and the other was saying it back. And it was like this divine conversation between holy angels praising God. It's an amazing scene. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah's looking at it. He can't believe what he's seeing. He doesn't feel adequate, worthy to see what he's seeing. And then he focuses on his lips. It's like he's saying not only do I do I feel unworthy to see but I feel unworthy to praise. I feel unworthy to join in the praise of the angels because my lips are filthy. And not only mine but I live among a people of unclean lips. You ever heard the phrase you kiss your mother with that mouth? If it was said to you, it's because of something you said, right? Something came out of your mouth that was less than acceptable, something that mom or grandma would have cringed if they heard. Maybe it was a word or a story or the way you told a story. But the things that come out of our mouths are evidence of the things that are in our hearts. We heard it in the prayer of the day. Did you catch that? In mercy, cleanse our hearts and lips. They're connected. The Bible's pretty clear about this. In in James chapter three, we hear these words. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. And Jesus makes the connection to the heart in Luke chapter six. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You see, it's, It's the words that come out of our mouths. It's the things we do with our hands. It's the thoughts that bounce around inside of our head, even the the feelings that we feel. They're evidence of of a problem that's deep inside this sinful heart that we all have, that we've all had from the moment we were conceived. And Isaiah taps into something as he sees God in all his glory. His sinful heart makes him inadequate, woefully inadequate. He is unable to be In the presence of God, more than that deserves to be thrown out of this place, this temple. He is not worthy to be in the presence of such a great and glorious God, and he knows it. That's the essence of hell. Being cast out of the presence of a glorious, loving God for all eternity. Isaiah knows that it is the sinful heart inside him which proves itself with his unclean lips, it makes him unworthy, inadequate of being in God's presence. But that's when we have an interesting picture. One of the angels goes to the altar and uses tongs to get a coal and then puts it in his hand and uses it to touch Isaiah's lips. <clears throat> the very source of his guilt, the place that he is connecting to his own guilt and inadequacy, is touched by this coal. You'll notice we have a combustible altar. I think that's intentional. There's no command in the New Testament that you have to make your altars out of wood. But I think many of our churches do for a reason. It's to remind us that we don't do burnt offerings anymore. We don't offer up sacrifices, blood sacrifices on an altar with coals because Jesus' one-time sacrifice was and is sufficient for all sins of all time. The altar is a picture of the place where Jesus was sacrificed. It is a picture of the cross itself. But in Old Testament times, the altar was still a picture of the promise. It was the place where God's people met with God to learn about atonement at one mint, to learn about what it would take for them to be made at one with God. It would take a blood sacrifice. And the fact that sacrifices needed to be made over and over, day after day, year after year, was a reminder that those sacrifices weren't actually taking away sin. They were a picture of the one-time sacrifice of the Messiah, who would die on the altar of the cross to pay for the sins of all people throughout the whole world, throughout all time. But from this place where Isaiah and the Israelites were very familiar with, this is the place where atonement is made A coal is taken and touched to the lips of the prophet. Listen to the words of the angel again. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah feels inadequate, unable to be in the presence of a holy God. But here we have this wonderful English word, atone. I talk about this a lot, so if it becomes a a broken record for you, good, because it's good to remember this. This is a word that was made up by Bible translators. They literally fabricated this word because the word in Hebrew and the New Testament Greek has an equivalent as well did, did not have a good word in English. So what does this word mean, this Hebrew word that Isaiah hears from the the lips of the angel, it means to make the two who are not one, one. And so they made the word at one, atone. A sacrifice of atonement is a sacrifice of at one-ment. And here in this picture, the angel is assuring the inadequate one, you are not inadequate anymore. Your guilt taken away. Your sin taken at one. You are now at one with your God, now and forever. And you see the change in Isaiah. It's a remarkable change. He goes from, I am ruined, to here am I. He goes from, woe to me, to send me. God has not only forgiven his sin and taken away his guilt, but he has now empowered him for a lifetime of guilt-free service to the king with peace in his heart the whole time. From I am ruined to here am I. From woe to me to send me. The same is true for you. You might not have the angel coming with the coal and and touching your lips, but you have the Holy Spirit coming to you in baptism and making you out one with God. And you may not have the coal touched to your lips, but on the first and third Sunday of every single month, the actual body and blood of our Savior, who did atone for our sins, touches your lips. Week after week, month after month, year after year, as you come forward for Lord's Supper. Your guilt has been taken away. Your sin atoned for by the body and blood of the one-time sacrifice that God had promised, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. You don't need to fear God's presence. You don't need to be afraid of his glory. You don't need to look at him anymore and feel inadequate, inadequate because God has fixed the problem of sin. You are not inadequate anymore because Jesus has made you more than adequate. You are worthy of being in God's presence. And so you too can say, here am I. Send me. Amen.